Today we celebrate Palm Sunday. However, we will not hear a traditional Palm Sunday message. We'll not look at the traditional account of Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem, as he rides down into Jerusalem with the cries of Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But rather, we're going to continue our verse-by-verse movement through Luke's gospel. I mentioned last week, I've been preaching through the gospel of Luke now seven years and three months. Now, we've had some breaks in that. We've had some other sermon series mixed into that, but for seven years and three months, we have gone verse by verse through this gospel of Luke, the good news as recorded by Luke. Well, next week, seven years and three months later, we will come to the verses on Jesus's resurrection exactly on Easter Sunday. And let me tell you what I think. Here's what I think. I believe only God can do that. I believe only God can do that. And I'll just tell you, I believe truly as I stand here today that that is evidence that God is specifically, exactly, deliberately in the preaching of his word. And I'll just tell you that I believe God is supernaturally, specifically in the preaching of his word. I believe this isn't just speaking up here. This is not just a lecture up here. This meeting today is not just some event like any other event that you ought to try and make it there if you can. I believe God is supernaturally in the preaching and the teaching of his word. And seven years and three months ago, he knew this day would happen. He knew what we would do today. He knew what we would pass next week. God is supernaturally in the preaching and the teaching of his word. And so today as we continue, we come now today this morning to the account of Jesus's Burial. Our message today is entitled, Finished. Finished. We're in Luke chapter 23, the last time, verses 50 through 56. We close out the chapter. Luke chapter 23, today verses 50 through 56. Finished. I'm gonna ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. God's word says this. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action, a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into a rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come today and we're thankful for you. We're thankful for the hope and the peace and the grace that you've shown us through your perfect son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful that today as we've gathered and as we read the account of Jesus as he passes down into Jerusalem, we know that our lamb presented himself for our redemption. Today as we study the care of of our Savior's body, we, we pray that you would speak to us 
And Lord, we believe this is a supernatural event. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our ears even now, that you would open our hearts even now, that you would, you would speak to us today. Lord, I pray for some in this room right now that do not have a relationship with you. I pray that in the preaching and the hearing of the gospel, the good news by which we're saved, that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray for us here as believers that we would be encouraged today, that we would be instructed today, that we would, we would leave here with a renewed peace and joy today. And Lord, I pray that in all of this, that it wouldn't be about us, that it would be about you, that you would be glorified, the Savior of the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ. May you be exalted. Lord, we worship you, we thank you, we praise you. We lay all this before you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today as we begin, today as we start, remember the context. Jesus, now as we close out the 23rd chapter, he has had his trials, his fake trials. He has endured those trials. Jesus has been beaten, savagely beaten. Jesus has been turned over to the Romans. He has been scourged, whipped across the back. He has been crucified, nailed to the Roman cross. He has been executed. The prophet Isaiah says of this event, he was despised. He was forsaken, a man of sorrows afflicted with grief. We did not esteem him. It means we counted him of no value, of, of a zero value. Isaiah said he was afflicted, pierced through for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Understand, at the point we start today, Jesus, the Lamb of God, has died. Jesus is dead. The Apostle Paul describes this event saying, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, as, as we start today, understand Jesus is dead. His body hangs dead there on the cross of Calvary. Now, I want you to try and picture that if you can. Try and imagine that this morning as we start the body of Jesus, his final breath has gone out of it. His blood no longer flows, but now it begins to dry and to cake on him. His heart no longer beats in his chest. And Jesus hangs on the cross of Calvary. Can you imagine that? Can you see him there? Jesus is dead. And a man named Joseph who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who is waiting for the kingdom of God. Here in verses 50 and 51, we have the description, the Bible says, of a man. And I think that's very telling, of a man. Now, it is a very detailed description. Joseph of Arimathea. Notice here, the detail. In fact, this man, his description is found in all four of the gospel accounts. He is forever recorded as this man. The Bible says he was named Joseph. Surely after the righteous, God-honoring son of Jacob, he is named after the righteous man, Joseph. And so that is his name, Joseph. 
The Bible says, Luke records, he's a member of the council. Again, remember the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, those that oversaw the proceedings. He is a member of that council. In Matthew, it tells us he was a rich man, and so he has means. He is wealthy. Luke records here, he is good and righteous. Now, understand here, the Greek word for righteous doesn't mean innocent. So it's not saying that he never sinned, but rather it means upright. And so, yes, he is a normal man. Yes, he has sinned, but this is a good man. This is a moral man. What that means is Joseph of Arimathea, he led an upright life. If you were to survey the pattern of his life, he was an upright man. He was a good and moral man. It says that he came from Arimathea, a city of the Jews. And so you see his roots again, these Jewish roots, even the city that produced him. Luke reports that he was waiting on the kingdom of God. And so here's this man, Joseph of Arimathea. He is a wealthy man. He is a man of means. He is a man of reputation. He's a member of the Jewish council. He is an upright man. He is a good man. And he is waiting on the kingdom of God. Now what that means is this. He was looking for the Messiah. What that means is this. He was trusting in God to send a savior. That was the promise of scripture. That was the promise that he held to as a Jew. He's looking for the Messiah. He's looking to the the savior that would be sent from God. He's trusting God to send that savior. And so Joseph, the rich man of Arimathea, he lived waiting on the kingdom that would come with the promised Messiah. That's very telling. His hope is in the Savior. His hope is in the Messiah. He was trained in the scriptures and he knew God said he would send a Savior. He would be a descendant of Abraham. He would be a son of David. And so he is waiting on the kingdom that would come with this Messiah. He is waiting on the kingdom. I think it is very interesting. Jesus enters in. He is born and he's met by, remember, Simeon and Anna who were waiting on the kingdom. They were waiting on the Messiah. Now he goes out, Jesus goes out, and his body is cared for by Joseph, who was waiting on the kingdom, who also was waiting on the Messiah. And I think about that, how awesome that is, how tremendous that is, how how much grace God showed these people that they spent their life hoping for the Savior, hoping to see the Messiah of God, and how God blessed them in beholding their Messiah. Simeon says, I can go now in peace for I've sent my Messiah. Joseph here of Arimathea had waited for the kingdom and now he has met his Savior. And a man named Joseph who is a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews who was waiting for the kingdom of God. Verse 52. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. What what an awesome verse. This man, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Most likely, 
because of his position, because of his place on the council, because of his influence, because of his wealth, he had this opportunity. And so most people wouldn't have been able to do this. Surely even the family and the friends of Jesus wouldn't have been able to do this. But because of his stature, because of his place, he's able to use his influence to go and ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now the normal thing was to take the crucified and dump them in a common pit. They were, they were buried in a common grave. And so understand here, Jesus dies as a criminal, but he's not buried as a criminal. Joseph, this man, went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Now I want you to see something here. In John chapter 19, it says of this man, Joseph of Arimathea, it says of this man, he was a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. He was a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. Now evidently it means until this point, at some time he had realized that Jesus was and Jesus is the Messiah. But because maybe of his status, maybe because of his closeness to the system, but for whatever reason it says because of his fear of the Jews, he kept it silent. He was a secret disciple of Jesus. Because of his fear of the Jews, he hid the truth that he knew who Jesus was. But see this. Now in the most dangerous time, now when even the disciples had gone silent, even now when the disciples have slipped somewhere into the crowd, this silent disciple now stands up. Friends, I believe this is how it is. I believe when you see Jesus, I believe when you know Jesus, and for sure, I believe when you see his death in your place, when you understand his death in your place, there is a point, I believe, when your faith outruns your fear. Now listen to me, it doesn't mean that you have no fear, not at all, but it means your faith is now bigger than your fear. Listen to me today, hear me today, if we will actually see Jesus, if we will look at Jesus, if we will begin to understand his death in our place, we will quit worrying about what others say. We'll quit worrying about our own insecurities. We'll quit having to worry about the cost and if we're willing to pay it or not. But when we see Jesus, when we understand his death in our place, we will stand up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I believe that's what happened to this man, Joseph of Arimathea. He had gone along and he understood the scriptures. He understood Jesus had fulfilled those scriptures. But in this instant, upon seeing his Savior die, he stood up and his faith overran his fear. Good, good job, Joseph of Arimathea. Verse 53. This man, verse 52, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Verse 53. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one ever, no one had ever lain. Now the other gospel accounts say that Nicodemus was also with him. That Nicodemus helped him in this process. Now, 
I think that's a beautiful thing as, as well. Remember, Nicodemus is the one that came at night. He also was on the council. He also had to hide himself in the cloak of darkness. Well, now we see in this event the one to whom Jesus actually said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The one to whom Jesus actually said those words, the one that heard that Nicodemus, he's also here with them. says, and they took it down. These are the people who actually took down the body of Jesus. These are the folks, these are the people who actually took down the body of Jesus. Now, can you imagine the horror of that? Can you imagine the heartache of that? Can you imagine the pain of that. Can you imagine the tears they must have cried as they go and they take down the body of Jesus? Can you imagine the horror in their hearts, the heartache in their hearts as they take Jesus' hands and they pull them through the nails? Can you imagine the horror in their hearts, the heartache, the pain, the tears as they, as they pull the nail out from the bone, out from between the, the bone of his legs? Can you imagine the, the grief in their heart as they, they take their hands and they run them behind the back of Jesus, a back that's, that's been whipped there and is scourging, and they take him there off of the cross and they gently lay him down. Can you imagine the horror and the heartache? It's the crown of thorns that's pressed into his brow. They pry the thorns loose. They take off this foolish crown off the Savior's brow. They cast it aside. Can you imagine the one they had waited for, their hope, their Lord, their Savior? Do they speak? As they began to clean him up the best they could, do they, do they sob as they take the, the linen and they begin to wrap the body of Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, as they, as they begin to wrap him in the linen, do they, do they sob as they wrap him up? Do they, do they cry out as they carry him to the grave? Oh, how did this ever happen? How could this be? Do they cry out as they carry him and place him in a grave? Matthew says, Matthew reports in his gospel that it was Joseph's own grave. It was Joseph, the rich man of Arimathea, the moral righteous man. It was his own grave that he gives to Jesus. I thought about that for just a second. How fitting that is how fitting that is, Jesus had died his death. What a joy to give him his grave. He had died his death, and so he gives him his grave. The Bible says the grave was one that no one had ever lain in. Jesus came in an untouched womb. Jesus had entered into Jerusalem on an untouched colt. And now in great honor, Joseph of Arimathea places the body of our Lord Jesus 
in an untouched grave. Do you know how many graves that were stood by before this event? Grave after grave. Do you know how many graves were stood by before this event? Do you know how many graves have been stood by since this event? How many graves that we have stood by? Grave after grave, we stand there with our kids and we stand there and we weep. We stand there and our, our loved ones are gone. Do you know how many graves that we've, we've walked by? Do you know how many graves that we, we put a stone in front of? Grave after grave. But this grave is not going to be like all the others. This grave is actually going to be shortchanged. And Joseph's going to get his own grave back. Verse 54. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The preparation day was the day before the Sabbath. It would have been a common terminology for a Jewish person. It was the day before the Sabbath. The Sabbath, they could not work. And so all of the preparation for the Sabbath, all of the work that would happen for the Sabbath had to be done the day before. And so it is the preparation day. We're not going to work on this day. We're going to have to make sure there's provision to get past this day. We're not going to work on this day. The things we're going to need are going to be secured before this day. It was the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. This day had a double urgency. The Jewish law stated that the dead body couldn't be left out overnight. And that was the Jewish law. They couldn't leave a dead body out overnight, couldn't leave it on the cross overnight, couldn't leave it somewhere else exposed overnight. But the Jewish law also said they had to cease their labor at six o'clock at sundown. And so you have this double urgency. There is a race to get the body down and to get him wrapped up and to put him away before sundown, but there's also the race that the clock is ticking. It has to be done before six o'clock. And so there's an urgency as they take him down and place him in the tomb. Verse 55. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Again, for the second week, we read of the women of Galilee, not the daughters of Jerusalem, but the women of Galilee, the ones that had traveled with Jesus from Galilee. These were his close friends. These were the ones that loved him and he loved them as well. These were his devoted followers and they had made the way all the way through the ministry. They had made the way all the way from Galilee until this point. The Bible says, and they followed and they saw the tomb, they saw the grave and how the body was laid. Now I think about that and I imagine that they're just numb. I imagine that they're heartbroken to the core. This is their great friend. This is the one they had traveled with. This is the one they had come to know and to love and to trust. And I imagine as they have seen the events of this day, the horrific events of this day, that they are numb and their hearts ache. Jesus, their Jesus is dead. And they see him as he's carried gently, carefully. They see as he's wrapped in the linen and they see the process as they, they maneuver the body and wrap him. They see the body as he's, he's battered and beaten and as it's cared for. They see the body as it's now placed in the grave. 
I imagine as they stand there, they could, they could, if they closed their eyes, they could still hear Jesus' voice. Can you imagine that? If they closed their eyes, they could hear, still hear his laughter. Just a few days ago, they had been in a different setting. Just a few weeks ago, they'd been somewhere else. How is it possible that this has happened? How is it possible that this is real? And they see their Jesus as he's placed in the grave. The other gospel accounts say, and they rolled a stone in front of the grave and the tomb, the grave is shut. Pretty profound event. Start off that morning as the sun comes up, pass through the events of the day. Jesus is stripped from that cross. He's carried to the tomb. All of these events and now the stone is rolled in place and the grave is shut. And the long day is over. The terrible day is over. And the grave is shut. And as the sun goes down, it'll be on a grave that is shut. And Jesus is inside. The grave is shut. Verse 56. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. The Bible says, then they returned. What that means is they left, they left to go prepare spices and perfumes. Now understand what's going to happen here. They were going to come back after the Sabbath. On the first day of the week, they come back. They are going to come back and they are going to finish the job of preparing the body of Christ, of anointing the body of Christ. There were hundreds of pounds of spices to apply to the body. Evidently, in the shortness of time, it wasn't a complete job. And so they go back to prepare the perfume and the spices and they're going to come back after the Sabbath and they're going to finish the job. And so they leave. Jesus is dead. They're sure of it. Jesus is dead. They've seen it. And so the Bible says they leave. Of all of the funerals that I've preached, of all the funerals that I've been to, my own loved ones included, the hardest part, and I'll tell you they're all hard, but the hardest part is always leaving. Everybody's gone. I remember my dad's grave. Everybody's gone. All the words have been spoken. The, the goodbyes have been said. The verses have been read. The prayers have been prayed. People have all drifted off. The people are all gone. And for the first time, you will turn your back and you'll walk off from that grave and you'll leave them there. Hardest part is to leave. I know this is but a tent. I know they're not there. This is a New Testament understanding. I know they're not there, but I'm going to tell you the hardest part is to say, you know what? I've been these days. I've seen this day. You know what, I still can remember the laughter. I can still remember the voice. I can remember just a few days ago the things we were doing and now the grave is shut. 
You turn and you walk off and you leave that grave. It says they leave the grave. The grave is shut and they leave the grave. And the verse says, And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Don't miss this. There is, there is something very special here. And on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Earlier, if you remember, several messages back, we saw the tie-in to the Passover. We, we, we saw the tie-in to the Passover. As Jesus comes to the Passover, as he presents himself on this Palm Sunday, as he presents himself during the Passover, as Jesus observes the Passover with his disciples and how he is the final Passover lamb, how they were trained for all of those generations to remember the blood of the lamb and to remember as it covered the doorpost that blood is their salvation. And now here it is his blood. He is the perfect lamb of God, the final lamb of God, and in his blood is our salvation. And the Passover was pointing to Jesus. The Passover is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the lamb. And year after year, generation after generation, they're trained, cast your eyes to the lamb. We're saved in the blood of the lamb. And Jesus is the final lamb. And in his blood, we're saved. We see Jesus in the Passover. Well, now... Just as awesome, we're going to see the tie-in to the Sabbath. Now think with me. Remember in Genesis, and let me just say this. The gospel is in Genesis. Genesis matters. I want you to hear that. Genesis matters. That, that is why Satan has attacked Genesis. Well, you can't believe it. Listen, Satan attacks Genesis because the gospel is in Genesis. Remember in Genesis, God does the work of creation. Then God rests from his work of creation. Six days has he labored, and on the seventh day he rested. Then remember, in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, God institutes the Sabbath day for his people. Now, I want, I want you to listen. I'm going to read this to you. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God institutes the Sabbath day. God created in six days. God rested on the Sabbath day. And now man was to rest in God's finished work of creation. Understand today, the Sabbath day, it was to point to the power of God. The Sabbath day, it was to point to the might 
of God, to the wisdom of God. The Sabbath day was always to point to the glory of God. Man rested in God's finished work. Oh, but see this today. All of those years of the ceasing of labor, all of those generations where the tools of work had fallen silent, all of those years were pointing to a different rest. They were pointing to a better rest. They were pointing to a final rest, and that is the finished work of Jesus Christ. And just like that first Sabbath pointed to the power of God, just like that first Sabbath pointed to the might of God, just like that first Sabbath pointed to the glory of God, this final Sabbath points to the power and the might and the glory of God. No work is left to do. No peace is left undone. No toil of man can ever add to it. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. And we rest in Jesus. We rest in Jesus. That Sabbath was always pointing to this Sabbath where we rest in the finished work of Jesus. No work do we have to do. Nothing we have to secure. It is finished in Jesus. And they rested according to the commandment. Here's the question. Who are you resting in today? Who are you resting in today? Your work, your good deeds, you're trying to somehow get better. Who are you resting in? The finished work of Jesus, the settled work of Jesus. Who are you resting in today? In Jesus, it is finished. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come. And I am astounded. I am amazed. I am thankful for the finished work of Jesus Christ. Nothing we can do. We can't do anything. Nothing we can add. There's nothing to add. Our hope, our forgiveness, our sin, our shame, our past, our future, our eternity are all settled, finished in Christ. Lord, I'm thankful for that. Lord, I'm thankful as I stand here as a, as a sorry sinner, as a person that would know the right thing and still do the wrong thing as a person that would know your glory and see glimpses of it but would still rather rebel and serve himself. As a person with no hope outside of a Savior. As a person that as we, as we sit and we see the, the chaos and the turmoil of our sin that we would be like Simeon and Anna and Joseph that we would look to you, to your hand, to your promise for our Savior. And then Lord, I'm thankful that that Savior stands in the person of Jesus. Lord, I pray for some here that do not know Jesus. I pray that today that as they've strived, as they've, as they've tried, as they've looked, as they've searched, as they stand condemned and broken in their sin, I, I pray that today they would look to the finished work of Jesus. That today would be the day of their salvation. It's not too late. Lord, I, I pray for us here as believers that we would hold high the name of Jesus as we would understand as you pass into the city, you were coming to die to finish the work. 
and we would hold high the name of Jesus. I pray that we as well would put our eyes upon you and rest in the finished work of our Savior. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, we thank you. I pray now, Lord, in this time of invitation that you would freely move. I pray that any distraction, any hindrance would be removed. I pray for those that you're dealing in their hearts, that today would be the day of of their salvation, that they would settle it today. Like Joseph, there would be a day that their faith overtook their fear. Let that be this day. Lord, we love you and we worship you, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.